The Dream 3 Podcast, season number two underway. Today we're talking about the Chicago sports card shows. We're talking about cards. We're talking about our top 10 MMA fighters of all times. The special guest, Squint Sports Cards. This is the Dream 3 Podcast. Back in your life. This is our new intro. This welcome to season two, episode number thirty. Bringing back a good friend of the sports card world and show, Squint Sports Cards, aka Justin. Justin, welcome back, and thanks for being on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be back. Cool. We got a lot to talk about. A lot to get done today. Um, First off, Justin, you went to the Chicago Sports Cards show last weekend um a little little different than the nationals but kind of tell us you know what you saw what was going down how was the crowd how was the atmosphere yeah so i just attended uh on saturday it was an all-day trip uh it was it was a really good time i was there for about five and a half hours um the atmosphere is really good uh it was noticeably smaller than the national of course uh, but with that, I felt like there's a lot more conversation, right? People weren't trying to just get the best deal that they could. Um, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, what's going to be the next big card for any sport. Um, one thing I did want to notice with that is there wasn't a ton of MJ. There wasn't a ton of Tiger. So a lot of the nicer cards that have pretty good value and have gone up, I didn't see a lot of that even though there were big players there. So it's pretty interesting to see a lot of that stuff was in hiding. I asked a couple of the guys that are on Instagram, like, Hey, where's LeBron at? Uh, and they all were like, you know, Hey, it's not for sale right now. So really? pretty interesting <laughs> stuff. Dude, um, the market's if, so bad. If I not, yeah, I'm not selling hey, LeBron at a loss. <laughs> like, Hey, I, that's I agree. But if I see it, if I never see another Trubisky card, I'd be happy, man. There's so many Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> cards there. The news just broke. Uh, everybody obviously around Chicago looking to get rid of that stuff. So, um, I mean, I probably saw 2,000 Trubisky cards. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I I get, like, you have to fill a role in Pittsburgh, but, like, Trubisky is <laughs> like the Colts. He's a Band-Aid. And you're just going to keep playing Band-Aids until you figure it out. Speaking of Band-Aids, how do you feel about uh, Matt Ryan? Um, I think when it comes down to the options that you have available, um, Matt Ryan's going to be the the best option that you're going to get. He's going to be the game manager. When you think about the options that were out there, Baker Mayfield's a wild card. Um, He's got some injuries to him. Uh, To me, he's too small. He is super mobile, but, you know, I agree with some of the media at certain points that I don't think he's mature enough to be a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, When you look at the other quarterbacks that were still around, Jameis Winston is a 30-30 guy. I'm not willing to accept 30 touchdowns for 30 interceptions. 
Well, he's uh, not going to be throwing the ball. I mean, isn't the motto and for the Colts just run the damn ball? Uh, it, no, you got to be a game manager. Of course, you can. You, the The offense is going to be based around Jonathan Taylor, but you're going to have to be able to move it other ways. Um, the other problem with the Colts is they don't have very many wide receivers. T.Y. Hilton was a free agent. They lost Zach Pascal today. So you're stuck with Michael Pittman Jr. as your number one, who I don't believe is a real number one. He's probably a number two in most people's systems. Um, so they they got a big need at wide receiver, and they got a big need at left tackle because you know they tried to get Eric Fisher last year. He was not a good Band-Aid. He did not come back great from that Achilles injury and <clears throat> not going to resign. So left tackle to sure up that offensive line and wide receiver is going to be very keys to the draft and the end of free agency for the Colts. So let me ask you this. How come the Colts didn't try and make a play after some of the other quarterbacks available? And why didn't they make a play on any of the wide receivers available? I don't know. I don't know if it's Chris Ballard's thinking of trying to get the deals as cheap as possible. If you look at his tenure as general manager, he's really into one year deals um, kind of one year prove it deals and then we'll see if we'll pay you. The other thing that he's really big on is um, kind of like Chick-fil-A promoting, promoting from inside guys who they draft and bring up um, the Darius Leonard's, the big Q's guys who <clears throat> have earned their place on this team. What about Rocky Sin? Rocky Sin was trash. I mean, I, yeah, but the, like, what did you get back? We got another corner. We got uh, the Virginia Tech corner from the Raiders. Who? Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but um, he's he's pretty decent. I mean, Rockison Rockison wasn't a cornerback, even though he was drafted to be one. He was more of a nickel. He couldn't play man to man coverage. You knew that. You know, if you blitzed eight, Rock's going to get the one that that's going to be picked on because he can't cover man to man. And when he does, he's a pass interference machine. He could barely play zone. And on the other side of the ball, you have, or on the other side of the field, you have Xavier Rhodes, who's, you know, kind of late into his career, trying to look for the money. He's still like, my biggest thing with corners is they're all divas and they're all dime a dozen. You know, every corner that gets beat, they sure. fall down and grab their leg, grab their knee, like, you know, something exploded when, the, you know, all they did was get beat. So with corners, you know, unless you're getting a Dre Bly, unless you're getting, you know, a Champ Bailey, something like that. Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, you know, somebody who you're going to pay, pay big, big money to you just plug and play corners. Now, the one thing that I am excited to hear is it's down between the Colts and the Cowboys for Tyron Matthews. I think that would be a big, that's big a nice fill. That, that's a nice fill for our defense because the safety position has been the Colts weakness since Bob Sanders. Um, after Did that, you, I can't um, name a good safety the Colts have had. Antoine Bethea played pretty well back then. Pretty well. He played himself into a, a contract with the Niners. He did, and the Colts should have never got rid of him. That was a Ryan Grigson type thing. Oh, well, we know um, he likes to ruin teams, so. Trash. Yes. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Colts suck. Yes, Justin, we don't need to talk about the Lions. They're just dirty brown trash water. They'll always be that. That's Man. okay. You guys have Matthew Stafford <laughs> playing for us, so hey, but you guys get to have, live vicariously yeah. through us. Neil, I want to see. Did you read <laughs> that athletic piece about Urban Meyer had no idea who Aaron Donald was? Urban Meyer is. 
how do I put this in a politically correct term? Urban Meyer, for all these young generation kids, that he is dog water. He is absolute dog water. Like he's trash. He runs a he runs his his programs like a plantation owner, and it's terrible. It's like I like I'm serious. And the only reason why he was successful is because he could keep everything under wraps at Ohio State and at Florida. He can't do that in the NFL. You can't do that with people who with grown men. You can't do that. So he it's sucks. A, like like Pat McAfee would say, it's a business. Um, you're not in college. You can play that super authoritative dictator that oh, I'm gonna rip your scholarship and you know you'll never play for this school again. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the NFL, it's a business. These dudes don't give a damn about you. They're out there to get their money and especially when you're urban and you're like a one year lease guy and you have Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is complaining about you. Yeah, you're gonna get the big ugly axe. You're trash. For sure. Get out. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Yeah. So how about so where does Baker Mayfield go? Are you thinking about it? Like it's got to be Seattle, don't you think? Yeah, I would think, right? There's no other place. Did Justin, you want Baker up in Detroit? <laughs> or are you still satisfied with Jared Goff for now? No. <laughs> <laughs> One more year of pain with Jared Goff and then get somebody else. <laughs> I'm trying to think where else he could possibly land. First. Other in well, I mean Atlanta's going to need a quarterback. They signed Marcus Mariota. I actually don't like. I I do not mind that. Well, the the either the head coach or the OC was Marcus's quarterback or OC coach in uh, Oregon. No, it's Tennessee the Titans. Yeah, mm. uh, Dujanay's got a good point. What about Baker to the Panthers? Sure, send him down to Carolina. I don't. Care. I mean, Sam Darnold. Needs to go. Hey, that's where that's where all 2008 quarter 2018 quarterbacks go to die. Carolina Panthers. That's a fact. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. There it is. That is a fact. So, going on in the card market right now. So, trying to figure out, you know, NFL free agencies picking up. That's the one thing that baseball has lost during this time. You know, baseball's with their lockout. Look how much press the NFL has gotten. NFL free agency this year has been the craziest NFL free agency I've ever. And it's just think about if baseball would actually you know have kicked off on time, not in the lockout, not in stuff like that. Like baseball cards are kind of super flatlining or dipping, where the NFL market's still fire hot. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, so I actually saw somebody posted an Instagram story in regards to this, and with all the coverage with the trade, you know, the trades, the combine, and everything, they're like, even though the NFL season's pretty short, there's enough publicity, and it's enough of like, there's so much social media around it. It's almost like that buy window or that that market window gets extended beyond just the season, and I I think we're seeing that right now. Do you think, and we've talked about this. I think the NFL is like the driving card, driving the card market. Like it was basketball two years ago. It's the NFL now. There's, I think the biggest sport in the United States, the NFL, it should have a little more pump in the card market. It really should. It had, should have more respect because it makes that much money. So many people pay attention to it. I, I, I think it does drive the market now. 
you know, if, if football's in, other things probably are going to pick up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's kind of like, like, I'm not going to lie, people are paying attention more to football than they probably are to basketball, you know? Yeah. I, I yeah. kind of firmly believe that. Well, I don't do see you people think part, posting about it. Yeah. Do you think part of that, Neil, is, you know, basketball, such a long season, and the regular season really doesn't matter, right? We're seeing 50-point games after 50-point games. Uh, you know, you see it for a day, and then the next day it's somebody else dropping 50, where the NFL, every yeah. game matters. Yeah. So. I, it, it might be, but, like, I'll see maybe – one or two posts where someone's like, I want this guy just drop 50 points, show me his cards for 500 mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. But the next three posts after that are uh, Joe Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert, Joe Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert. Yep. Let me find Russell Wilson, Lamar and Matt Ryan. Now, like people are uh, like, I feel just feel like the NFL continues to drive the market at this point mm-hmm. with everything going on in free agency. It's that's, that's a good point, Neil, because like, you know, anytime a big free agent signing happened, if you look at my slabs, the first like 50 cards are Russell Wilson rookie cards or yep. Trubisky cards. Deshaun or, Watson. Uh, Deshaun Watson, like like uh, Matt for my slabs. So there's like 50 Deshaun Watsons listed within an hour. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, and sold. Like, and it's, sold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree with you. I think the NFL is driving the market. Um, I also agree with Justin, you know, long season. You could say the same thing with baseball. Nobody really cares until the playoffs happen. Um, you yeah. can say the same thing about hockey. Um, all all great sports. Um, but the the idea in the market, I think, is a little bit different, especially yeah. football. Every game matters. There's only 17 of them, not including preseason. You, so if you're really riding that market train, it is a week-to-week high low jump where you know if i bought that fernando tatis rookie refractor i could sit on that thing till the cows come home and see what it does where if it's you know a football player it could be well case in point baker mayfield got the the prism rookie prism auto out of 25 you know i've been sitting on that thing forever and it's just it's worth like dog water now. So <laughs> pennies to what pennies like, to what you originally had it at. Uh, we might give it away on the, uh, on the podcast. <laughs> the season's over. Did, well, didn't you pull it out of like a $5 hanger pack or something? I, I was in Epping, New Hampshire racing and the hotel we were staying at across the street was a comic book and card store. So I walked across the street and went in there and it was old, dirty place, you know, low lights, just a bunch of stuff spread out everywhere. Uh, comic book place. And I'm looking through the comics and behind the counter, they had, uh, they had mega boxes and it was 2017. So that's the, the when Eight. Saquon and Emmett Smith were on the prison boxes. That was 18, 18, 18. Yep. So, um, and I, I texted you about it. Yeah, because you told me that there was a 2017 prism box there for like 250 bucks. And I asked if you if you wanted me to buy it for you. I said uh, yes. And I just yeah. missed it. I missed the opportunity. Missed it. And then I bought a hanger or bought a couple hangers and some other stuff. So I'm the next day 
I'm we're heading out to the racetrack and I'm going to pick up Cruz. So we stop at his hotel. So I'm ripping cards in the car, waiting for him to get out of the hotel and pull the redemption. And I was like, at the time, like Baker's, you know, number one pick, hottest thing. I'm like, holy shit, I have to look it up. You know, it's out of 25. Sent it to PSA, gets a nine. Not like it was really worth much anyway. And now just been sitting on it waiting. Well, I think when you got something. it back, wasn't it worth like two or three thousand dollars at the time? Like people were paying pretty close to that. <laughs> people Damn. were paying pretty decent for it. The problem was it wasn't the prism auto, it was the prism penmanship, penmanship which doesn't yeah. drive yeah. as as much. Yep. So, you know, still could you know, people were still paying a thousand dollars for the card raw, but now I couldn't give the thing away if I tried. I've been trying to sell that thing for two years. Still haven't been able to give it away. Gosh, when's the last time, Justin, when's the last time you opened up a hobby box or a pack of cards? Oh, man. So I've actually never opened a hobby box other than joining breaks like when COVID first hit. So everything Not was just too one? expensive at that point. Nope, I yeah. was always a retail guy. Did I tell you what? Just tell me when your birthday is, and I'm just gonna buy you some kind of UFC hobby box, and you just yeah. rip it. God, remember the, January seventeenth? We could afford cases. <laughs> I know. I bought that case of Prism hockey for like a thousand bucks, and I, like I haven't seen a single case since. I bought I bought cases of immaculate football and impeccable football, <clears throat> and just spend. That was when cases were like fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, I remember that. Nutty, no. nutty. Oh, the, the good old days. I had I had ten boxes of eighteen nineteen Prism retail boxes, and I got them for a hundred a hundred forty three dollars a box, and then I ended up selling like two months later for like one hundred eighty dollars a box, and I thought I was rolling in the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sold those too early. <laughs> yeah. So it, staying on cards. So if people follow, you know, Justin on Instagram. Um, you see a lot of UFC content coming from you. You're you're really picking up in the UFC card market. Tell me kind of why is that special to you and kind of why are you starting to push your focus that way? Yeah, so um, I'm actually pretty new to following the UFC. Um, over COVID or quarantine, it was the only live sports, right, with Abu Dhabi and the Apex um, kind of coming along. I kind of got into it. Uh, and then – I started, you know, over the last year, started looking at some of the cards um, and the UFCs are really UFC cards specifically are really new, right? 2009 was the first year uh, that any, anything licensed came out. Um, and I kind of took the same mentality I did for the basketball and the footballs. I'm looking to pick up like the goats, you know, numbered stuff, low pop, on card autographs, gold, anything gold. Um, so I kind of took that mentality into UFC, um, and some of the stuff is incredibly cheap, right? Like uh, Dominic Cruz, incredibly cheap. You know, Daniel Cormier, incredibly cheap. Uh, everybody's kind of looking right now that is collecting UFC at the Immaculate, at Chronicles, at Prism, um, and that's it, it's just people don't understand how few good cards there were with UFC, right? It was probably two years straight from like 2009 to 2011 where there was not a single on-card autograph. Everything was paper stock. If you tried to grade any of those raw now, you'll maybe get an, an eight and a half from PSA. Um, so that kind of shifted my focus to like 2011 finest, 
Um, and if you guys do follow me, you know, I've posted a couple big cards for me. Um, John Jones, uh, we'll, we'll get to kind of the rankings later, but definitely my favorite fighter. Uh, and I've always kind of looked to pick up his stuff. Um, so with that 2011 finest set, right, it went from sticker autographs, it went from paper card stock, it went to shiny cards with action photos with the first ever on-card autographs. Uh, so to me, that's kind of like a grail set. Um, so I've kind of shifted my focus to that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of the MMA Facebook groups is where I pick up those cards. You can't just find them on eBay. Uh, they're stashed in a lot of people's collection uh, that don't even realize what they're worth. Um, so that's kind of led me to that. And my pickups at Chicago actually were two pretty big cards. Uh, they're both one-on-ones of John Jones. Uh, the one is a 2011, uh, his first on-card autograph. It's a red refractor. Um, and then the other one's the, the base card, so to speak, or the base set. And that's also the one-on-one. Um, I don't know what they're worth. I don't care to know what they're worth. Um, to me, I've been chasing those for about a year. I had no idea where they were until about six weeks ago. And then six weeks of discussions and stuff, uh, came to a deal, made that agreement at Chicago. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I think John's super undervalued. I get that a lot of people hate him, right, for good reasons outside of the octagon. But no, zero uh, when it comes reasons. to in the octagon, he's at the top. John Jones is the greatest ever. <laughs> I don't care what happened outside the octagon. If you're that yeah. good, you have to have some I, narcissism about yeah. you. Especially in a yeah, sport where you beat agree. people's faces in. Right. I, I think, Neil, it's it's kind of that, like, I, I wish from John's perspective, even let's say he's still, you know, outside the octagon has issues, right? I think it's that, like, fake kind of, like, Christian, like, nice guy persona he mm. continues to try to, to show. People see him as fake, right? I think Rashad Evans is one of the first ones to call him that uh, before they fought back in the day. Um, and it kind of stuck, right? Everybody fought in a lot of the press, Daniel Cormier, uh, all these guys kind of brought those things up. I wish John kind of took that villain role, you know, kind of like a Tyson type attitude um, instead of this, like, you know, just caught in his own narcissism. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. There has to be a villain. I agree. I think he should have embraced that a little more. Probably wouldn't made me, made me fall more in love with him. So, yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. if he fights Francis, I mean, that's good guy versus bad guy right there. That's yeah, <clears throat> agreed. Yeah, I mean, we can. We're we're giving away too much good stuff before getting into the top ten. I mean, we can sit here and make matchups and make fights all day. We might as well just get into the top ten. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, Justin, you we got are, a lot to get through. You are the you are the guest. We will let you start first with your number ten pick of your top ten MMA fighters of all time. Yeah. Uh, so number ten, I've got uh, Daniel DC Cormier at number ten. So um, I threw him at number ten. Uh, I'll kind of explain. Wow, you guys both are. Uh... Well, see, Caleb, this is why he's new to UFC. So we'll let him <laughs> let him defend him. So we'll give him a little bit of a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let me, uh, I'll just kind of explain. So, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, I think for me, it was dominating a, you know, I, I don't want to say dominating, but I think that jump between light heavyweight and heavyweight, um, that's a significant jump to do, you know, to hold belts at both. It's not just going up, you know, a lower weight class, a pretty big jump. Um, I think I didn't have him higher on the list, uh, just because 
you know, losing two out of three to Stipe, losing twice to John, even if one was called a no contest. Uh, but other than that, I think, you know, I, I wish we would have seen more of kind of a prolonged run, but I think that's what you get out of the heavyweights. Um, wrestling was unmatched in terms of heavyweights, um, but he never was at the top, right? He was kind of that next guy, that question mark. Uh, if you look at some of the, the odds against John, I was pretty surprised how even it was uh, for both those fights compared to some of other John's fighters. Um, I wish Daniel would have taken down two out of three from Stipe or beat John once to have him much higher. Here's my defense on DC. It is a it is really hard to do that many fights when you're fat, and I'm just speaking from personal experience. Getting being fat and getting into shape is really hard to do. So, yeah, but there's a difference between being fat and being old. You got to think about also what his body went through going through the Olympic trials, being a wrestler for so long, like. It's hey, not like hey, most of these guys, like Francis, who come out of the sand mines and train in France for a couple of years and then, you know, are genetically gifted athletes. Okay. Okay. Caleb, Fedor. Okay. How old is Fedor? Like 80 now? Probably. And he's still trying to beat people up? That that point's irrelevant. No, DC it, can still fight. Is No, Fedor retired. He When was his last fight? A couple weeks ago. Okay. So I'm saying DC can still fight. You're, you're telling me if somebody showed up with a bag of money, you're not going to go fight? A bag of money? Yeah. Well, I per, mean, per, if it's all pennies, per, no. Hey, perfect, perfect example. So if it's so, a bag of cheeseburgers, probably, but perfect, perfect example. So talking with, I met Larry Holmes in Reading, Pennsylvania. Larry Holmes said he was retired for two years doing nothing. Don King showed up at his house and said, Hey, I want you to fight Mike Tyson. He said, Don, I've been doing nothing for two years. Don walks out to his car, brings back $3 million in cash. Yeah, I'll fight Mike Tyson. Tell me when. <laughs> do some crazy things for some money. Well, I mean, Justin, you could probably attest to this. Would we be having the same conversation about Calvin Johnson? He turned down a lot of money. Yeah. About the principle sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you set I yourself mean, up and you're okay. Sometimes yeah. you waste away your money. Yeah, because most fighters are very business savvy. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I'm just saying. They're fighters. You think the, the NFL reason. you think the NFL guys are better? Yeah, but they have teams around them. <laughs> you what your agents teams? for. Oh my goodness. It, you it's the same thing. No, it's not. Hundred percent it's not. I could do a professional contract. I could do a professional contract negotiation for a professional fighter. Where if I had to go to the NFL, MLB, yeah, NBA, but I'm saying you have a team around you. You have a team. You have your gym around you. You have you have plenty of support. It's not a it's not a sports agency with a contract negotiator, a financial guy, uh, a lawyer. You know all this. Just a bunch of gym bros who say, "Yeah, man, I'll fight for five hundred bucks." The UFC is a little bit better than just gym bros now. Depends on who you're getting. You there's uh, only okay. We're talking about everybody who's in the UFC that's a ranked fighter is not okay, just a gym bro anymore. That's the point I'm trying to make. UFC UFC is a sport. The people are trained professionals now. Everybody who's in the ranking system who's basically a top ten guy. They, they, they dedicate their life to it. 
They spent time doing it. They Except have for Bryce Mitchell, who won, last, who won a couple weeks ago, who actually works on a farm or has his farm. And Who are we talking uh, about, Patty? No, no, Bryce Mitchell. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean yes, but there's I mean there's occasional, but for the most part, a lot of these guys are Patty are, creeps have me a team. Out. Patty really creeps me out. <laughs> yeah, I know he's, he's so <laughs> weird. Who do you have he as number weird. ten, Neil? Um, I have Conor McGregor. I figured first two-time champ, but I mean Conor. Conor is probably the one guy who has put UFC on the map, not only in the sports card market but UFC on the map as a sport in general, um, far more than anybody else. And it, I don't think it speaks to how well he promotes, but you got to back it up. You got to be able to show how good you are and to go and take down who I'm assume you guys have Jose Aldo and put him on the canvas in eight seconds. It wasn't eight or 13. I can't remember. Eight 13 seconds. Remember. 13 seconds. 13 yeah. seconds. So put him out cold on the canvas in 13 seconds. Oh, by the way, I like your t- I like your sweatshirt, Caleb. Yeah, very cute. Hey. It. He he took the time. He trained and he built everything up that is himself. But he mm-hmm. also went out there and performed. It did the job. And from a striking standpoint. I mean, he could strike with anybody, as long as they're not, you know, Francis and Ghana. So, I mean, he could he could strike with he could strike with people that are two weight classes above him, you know. And and I think from a, a standpoint of of how talented he was as a striker, I think that's what makes him one of the greatest of all time. First two time champ. I, I, there's something to be said about that. Nonetheless, he's number ten. Okay, number ten. Neil, let me ask you two questions real quick. So, how can you have somebody in the top ten that's never defended a belt? And we're talking. Connor could have Marsh. defended the belt fifteen times if he wanted to. The problem is he had people like Habich running around trying to avoid him until they could right. catch him at the right moment. Okay, Connor could have defended the belt, but let's be honest, Connor was more uh, at that point. Connor was more worried about the fame. He could have went out. He could have beat. Dos Anjos, he could have beat whoever else, he could have defended his title. But like once he got the once he got both championships, it was kind of like the pinnacle of UFC. So I mean it's the same thing with John Jones. Once you once you clean out the division, same thing with GSP Anderson. So once you clean out the division, you kind of just take time off. It happens. Same thing with Amanda Nunes. It's right. the same thing. So what was your other question? Uh, my other question was, do you think if Connor today, let's say, you know, if it was, let's say he's starting his title run five years later than what he did, do you think he'd still get by with all the wrestlers in, in the divisions with relying on his hands? So is, are we talking nobody knows about who Connor McGregor is? I, I just, when I think of mixed martial artists, I just don't see Connor anywhere close to the rest of these guys in the top 10 in terms of complete display of mixed martial arts. I'd have to go through my top 10. Here's, here's what I'm going to say to that. Yeah. If, if, if you were to say you put Conor McGregor now as starting his title run at that, Mm -hmm. at this point in his career, when he was making the title run, nobody got to, to, to the point where they were taking him down. 
And when they did take him out, take him down, he got up quick enough to where all he could do was go back to his strikes, and then he would just just run people down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but mean, if, he, go if ahead, you look, So if you're talking about like you know wrestling, he only fought one wrestler. He fought Chad Mendez. Yeah, that yeah. was it. His other fights: Diego Brandao, Max Holloway, which was a young Max Holloway, Poirier, young Poirier, Dennis yeah. Seaver. Aldo Diaz, Eddie Alvarez, like there's no wrestlers on that besides besides Chad Mendez. Yeah, I, I'm just saying if you don't know who the guy is and there's not enough tape because he's just knocking kids out left and right, it's hard to tell what he's going to be on the ground unless you know know something inside. But that's that's probably why. I mean, yeah, it very well could have been where you bring in a wrestler and the wrestler takes him down and yeah. lays on top of him for three rounds, five rounds, and then he gets beat. You know, but but I it, it's it's what we know about Connor now. He wouldn't work in he wouldn't work at his technical skill level. He's past his time because people know what his weaknesses are. That's why he needs to go train with Darren Till and Shemaev. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he yes. needs to join the three ninjas. Yes. Yes. So uh, Con- Connor Connor is the probably the most skilled striker, I would say, in my top ten. Well, maybe, definitely top five, probably top three, maybe number one. I'd have to really think about that. But I mean, think about it though. Was there one guy who you were more scared to stand up with? In just that division, or or all of it. Let's say lightweight to what was it? What did he fight at? Didn't he go up to welterweight or something? Are we saying at his prime or right now? Are we saying at his his prime? prime. I would have taken a I would have taken a a prime Donald Cerrone. Prime Donald Cerrone over Connor? Yes, and striking. Mm, I see. Here's here's where I don't like that. Connor Connor's. Like in the way of Anderson, Connor was very skilled at counterpunching and finding the timing. Like his timing was impeccable. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's one reason why he was so skilled was he understood the flow and the timing of everybody else he was fighting against. I think he did his homework better than everybody. And I think when we get into this, there's other fighters who, when they did their homework, they were just unmatchable. And I think that's one thing that he did standing up as a striker. He was unmatchable. So it's a, he's number 10. He's number 10. He's number 10. <laughs> All right, number number 10 on my list. The Demolition Man, Alistair Overeem. Oh, God. So we're, <laughs> we're, ta- so we're, we're talking mixed martial arts. I'm not talking to UFC. We're talking mixed martial arts. If you think of Alistair Overeem, he won a title in every promotion except for the UFC. Dream, Pride, Strike Force, fight the best of the best from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Now, was he on steroids? Hundred percent. I like my fighters juice to the gills, but. He had 67 fights, 47 wins, 25 by knockouts, uh, 19 losses. You know, he's he's a Dutch kickboxer. 
you're either going to get knocked out or you're going to knock somebody out. You can't tell me in the world of Dutch kickboxing and kickboxing in general, there was someone more dominant than Alistair Overeem. If you, you could go down the highlight list of knockouts in pride. Um, and even, you know, when he got to the UFC, who didn't think he was going to run through Brock Lesnar? The only chance Brock had was to put both hands around his waist but Alistar being 6'5", 265 pounds of shreddy wop, like, you're not stopping that. Straight you know what would be really fun? Mm. Prime Alistar, prime Alistar versus prime Francis Ngannou. Just the sheer power. It would be, I would, I would, I would pay so much money to see that fight. I would I mean, fly out to Vegas for that fight. You can, you can go through... So he started his career in 99 as a light heavyweight, and he was super skinny, moving himself up and up in the division. Um, but he's fought the who's who of mixed martial arts. You know, Big big Nog, uh, Shogun, Mauricio, uh, Little Nog, uh, Mark Hunt, Gary Goodrich. Yeah. Uh-oh. All right. There, there he is. He's back. Yeah, my internet's struggling tonight guys working internet <laughs> that's right go. hey yes, you need to upgrade is. to that mcdonald's yeah. internet just go steal mcdonald's <laughs> internet man so he once you know he got into his ufc run you know you fight some different competition now do i agree that his competition and later in pride dream stuff like that wasn't as good as the ufc because you run into like bigfoot silva travis brown ben rothwell you know different level of guys <clears throat> he's not a he's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu uh he won adcc at the 98 kilogram weight in like 2005 so but but stand-up fighting you know he's still fighting into his career he's in his 40s and even though his chin has been tested he was beating Stipe. He was pretty much beating Francis until he got hit with a wild uppercut. He was beating Curtis Blades and got knocked out. He was beating uh, Biggie Boy until the last three seconds of the fight. So it's one of those, he either wins them all or he goes out on his shield. And you know what? He's back in the gym and back fighting a couple months later so to me he's old school because i'm encompassing all of mixed martial arts i put alistair over him at number 10 do you think his kickboxing career holds holds more weight than his mma career no because i think what what holds the most weight is fighting in pride i think the k k1 was okay but by then he had, he'd already established a name from pride. I know I, what kills me and it's going to kill, it's going to kill probably something on my list. I just, I have a tough time, even though these guys that put that fought in pride and fought overseas, I just in strike force WC, all these guys. If you can't come over to the UFC knowing that the best talent was over there and you do it after your prime, it hurts you a little bit. He fought, Chuck, you don't, he fought Chuck Liddell over in Pride. It, I, I, I understand, but like, 
Prime Chuck Liddell was after that, though. Well, Chuck knocked him out in Pride. Yeah, but I, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, like there's something to be said about coming over. Oh, to then the you're not you're not gonna like you're not gonna like the rest of my list then. <laughs> I probably won't, but I think I think that's probably because you're kind of a vintage guy anyway. Um, but it's, that's just that's my thing. It, it's hard to could, you know. We're saying new versus old, a prime Alistar versus, you know, a prime Stepe, not old Alistar versus prime Stepe. Like to me. I think a prime, a prime Stepe and a prime Alistair is probably going to a rubber match. It's going three matches, mm-hmm. and I don't know who wins that that one. Yeah. But, over, number ten. All right, Justin, number nine. Uh, number nine, I'd Stepe. Um, so greatest heavyweight of all time, right? Uh, four title defenses, still at this point, leads that division. Um, won the trilogy against DC, uh, beat Overeem, had a win against Mark Hunt. Um, I'm pretty some of the heavyweight division, to be honest with you, just in terms of the turnover that there's been uh, since the sport started. Stipe's always been kind of the name um, that's been there. Um, it's interesting to see what happens now with him. Um, I think there's a lot of question marks. It'd be cool to see an interim, fight, interim title fight. Um, I think that's going to kind of shape a lot of the legacy as well. If he can come back and, you know, get the interim belt or eventually work his way back up to a title fight. Cause it seems like there's a lot more dynamic heavyweights than what we've seen in the past. I'm not, I'm not mad at that. I mean, I, I don't think he's a top 10 guy. I have in all honesty, I have Stipe like number 11, 11 or 12. Like he he's right there. I have steep a seven. Okay. Well, who do you have number nine? Fedor. Fedor number nine. Okay. And the reason why is exactly uh-huh. what I've shared with you before. Very talented. A guy who's who I respect the fact that he is continuing to fight. What is this? How many years? How many years has he fought? Uh, 20, since, yeah. 20 some years. <clears throat> has the longest fight win streak, I think, in MMA history, if I'm not mistaken. 28. 28. 28. That's what I have it. 28. Um, including wins over four, four UFC champions. Where Fedor gets me, though, is the inconsistencies at the tail end of his career when he starts to fight some of the former UFC guys and he loses some, he wins some, he loses some. And it's kind of like, you know, what could he, what, what would you have been if you would have just went to the UFC challenged yourself? Would you have made it? Would you have not? I don't know, but that's kind of like saying, you know, what would OJ be if he didn't, you know, start to become an idiot? That's a that's a tough argument to make. Are you saying that just because you fight primer guys in the later stages of your career, you're not as great? So you could say Mike Tyson fighting <laughs> Lennox Lewis hey. and getting smoked by him and Evander Holyfield. He, it, Tyson's not as great? 
here's here's the comparison. Are you the greatest coach of all time if you win a thousand college basketball games and D one double A basketball? There's no such thing as D one double A basketball. It's F- all division whatever. One. It's all division one. Just FYI. If if, if you if you're <laughs> like if you're playing in if, if you're winning a thousand games playing in the division two. Yeah, division yeah. two. Or if you're playing in one of those, what, what's the the just the NCAA tournament school games? Like, are you the greatest coach of all time because you have a thousand wins? No. Like the point is, you have to progress to the top level, right? You have to get there. You have to put in the work, and he puts in the work, but you got to ultimately challenge yourself against the best in the world. So, but is that on him, or is that on the UFC not being able to strike a deal? Well, I mean, you could blame Dana White on it, but at the same time, like, if you're somewhat like Caleb, if if ISU isn't going to pay you money to go play linebacker, but you still want to go show yourself as a linebacker, what are you going to go do? You're going to walk on and try to be the best damn linebacker you can be. If money's involved? Yeah, but if you're not getting the money you want, you're but, a competitor. But, yeah, but at this time, you're hypothetically the number one fighter in the world. Okay, so you didn't make enough money over in Strike Force or Pride no. or anything and, and else. So, so when Affliction comes through and starts a promotion and writes an open checkbook, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go take your money. Oh, Affliction's done. I'm gonna go to Risen. Yeah. Oh, Risen's done. I'm gonna go to Dream. It's, yeah. It's like. Open your check. Prove it. Write some, write some zeros, Dana. Hey, the, if you want to blame Dana, then blame Dana for Fedor not making it past number nine. Uh, just FYI, Fedor has won his last two fights, both by knockout. Against? Quentin Rampage Jackson and Timothy Johnson. Who? Uh, Timothy Johnson. Hmm. Okay. Quentin. I know Quentin, but... Not t- not good old Timmy J. Timothy Anyways, Johnson number nine. Is, uh, 15 and 8. Just yeah. FYI. He did lose. So his own. Just going back to the Fedor thing, and I have Fedor on my list. Um, so he lost three in a row. That was 2010, 11, and 12 to Fabricio Verdum, UFC heavyweight champ, okay. Bigfoot Silva. Okay. Dan Henderson. Okay. Then did not lose another fight until 2017. Indiana's own Matt Matrione, because I was part of that camp and got punched in the face for it. So that was dumb. Okay. And then lost to Ryan Bader in a tournament. Okay. Guys, those, those, those losses aren't those losses aren't making me think. Oh. So guys who I don't are, know guys who guys who are 15 years younger than him. If you're the best ever, it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. John Jones could come out of retirement at 40 years old and he's going to run train through everyone. Jerry Rice is going to blow past Jalen Ramsey right now. He's going to run a six yard out route and catch the ball. Deon, he doesn't oh, I, can't even, I can't even use Deion Sanders because Deion Sanders doesn't have a foot anymore. 
Yeah, Dion's in a wheelchair right now, so. Yeah, he's got a filleted leg. Yeah. All right. Listen, so, I just I, I I I respect the UFC and I respect the product. And if you want to make it and be the best ever, you got to go and you got to beat the best ever. And when you're not going and you're not beating the best ever, you're not going to make it higher than number nine. Okay. All right. Number nine for me, a guy who I feel established the the wrestling game when the UFC was first starting. Um, and a bigger name, an older guy starting his career. Um, doesn't really have the greatest record, but I'm going to go number nine, Randy Couture. So Randy Couture, uh, fighter in two different weight classes, champion in two different weight classes, um, pride in his prime for a long period of time. Um, he's got the list of guys that he's fought, you know, monsters at both levels. Um, three-time UFC heavyweight champion, two-time light heavyweight champion, um, has been involved in 16 total title fights, um, wins over Chuck, Tito, um, reclaimed the UFC title while he was in his 40s before running into the, the meat pale hands of Brock Lesnar. Yep. Um, the, the guy who I really feel, eh, and you can go back to like the early UFCs, the Mark Kerrs, the the Kevin Randleman's, the Mark Coleman's when I think of wrestling and real legit Olympic Greco Roman wrestling, I think Randy Couture um, shocked the world when he beat Chuck and everyone was like, Oh shit, I need to start working on some wrestling. So Randy Couture hall of famer, you know, had his, had his ins and outs with the UFC, but he gets number nine on my list. He's probably the first pioneer of like a true well-rounded UFC fighter. Yeah, you know, you could everybody's going to point to Chuck. Chuck was the cuz he was a wrestler first, but was a better kickboxer than he was a wrestler. He was a yeah. one, He was a division 1 wrestler, but he would much rather knock people out. Right. And Tito was the other way around. Tito couldn't strike. 100%. He could, he could wrestle. Yeah. And then if you think of the other guys, the the Let's say Mark Coleman. Mark Coleman is a wrestler at Ohio State, but that's all he could do. His striking was trash. <laughs> yes. So number nine for me, Randy, the natural couture. Justin, number eight. Number eight. I've got Amanda Nunes. Number eight. Um, I was kind of struggling here. I I wanted to put, right, I think when it comes to women's MMA, there's a few different choices, but I think Nunez just has that, that fear factor to her, right, with a uh, pretty good resume, beat Valentina twice, um, beat Rousey, uh, when Rousey had quite a bit of hype around her. So, um, and I want to note that second fight against Valentina was razor thin and close, um, but just basically demolishing two weight classes. Um, I know her recent loss to, Juliana Pena, um, it'll be interesting to see how she bounces back. I think she'll she'll get a rematch and she'll smack her. But um, I think when it comes to women's MMA, I think she's kind of the face, at least to me. Um, and I think part of that's just like her brute strength uh, over everybody, kind of like Rousey had that. But I think Nunes has obviously held that for longer, um, kind of took that to the next level, uh, at least for me. So I have her at number eight. That's fair. Um, 
I think, honestly, I think you can't have a top 10 without at least having probably the greatest, if, I mean, the greatest, you know, women's MMA fighter of all time. You know, I think you have to include that in there. So that's fair. That's fair. In all honesty on mine, I didn't have any women because to me, the depth level of competition, I think is, it's really tough to gauge being the greatest because there's, you know, we have this conversation of pride in other organizations. Like you have, you know, Cyborg. I'd love to see Cyborg fight more ladies. Uh, the chick that's in PFL, uh, Carissa Shields. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Amanda Nunes, no no doubt about it. She's a monster. But like, besides like, who's she fighting? Like, even when Ronda was coming up, like the Misha Tates, the, the Kat Zanganus, the, you know... When I look at women's MMA, like I just don't see the the depth. You could go two, three spots deep, but after four, five, and six, you're kind of like, you know, you're just trying to find people to throw in those spots. Like Paige Van Zandt. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, Caleb. Do you uh, think the women's MMA is in a better position now, or was it more exciting and more talented a few years ago when you had Nunes, Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate? cyborg i think it was more entertaining a couple years ago but i think it's deeper now think of somebody like like uh roxanne modafari who just retired she's been fighting since the two early 2000s yeah and you look at her and like she's somebody that you you can't get behind until the end of her career because she's not a name she's not a face she has great skill and is a great fighter but not a needle mover. The The thing with, with men's mixed martial arts is you have the, the guys with the different, you know, styles shows, you know, pizzazz, you know, people who are cool with women's MMA, you either get the Ronda Rousey face or the Chris cyborg who dude type stuff or Amanda Nunez lion. I'm going to come through and knock out dudes yeah so it, it's just tough for me now i i have no nothing to, she's a great fighter but just no there are no women on my list i'm just gonna say that yeah. oh justin is and his burger king internet uh-oh uh-oh needs to upgrade needs to upgrade needs <clears throat> to switch to spectrum well i'll do number eight i'm sure he'll be able to figure out who i chose at number eight I talk about him all the time to Justin and you. I have Habib at number eight. You have who? Habib. Habib. Um, the reason why I have him at number eight is, like, I get it. You have very good wins. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Rafael Dos Anjos. But... You stopped. You had the chance to. You had the chance to continue to just wipe a division clean, over and over again, and do what some of the guys who are higher on the list could already have done, and you could have done that, and you chose to retire. When it's all said and done, which it is now, that's all you. That's all you get. Like that's yeah. all you have. So it's kind of like. 
it's kind of like, you know, where you where do you stack up? Well, you only stack up as far as you were able to go. And then you, you just stopped. So you had great wins, but in the end, like you got to show the title defenses. You got to clean house on a division. You got to clean house again on the sec on the division a second time. Maybe try and bump up. Maybe try and bump down. Maybe clean out another division. You know, show some show that you are worthy of a higher spot on the list. Uh, don't get me wrong; you're a top ten guy all the time. But at number eight, you got to show me what more what some other people have done who are more accomplished than you are. And yes, you're a great wrestler, but maybe there's somebody out there who has decent enough wrestling and has better striking who just catches you, and that's all it takes. That's the sad part with them. All it takes is one punch. We all know that. Yeah. So um, my thing with Khabib is, and Khabib is on my list, <clears throat> to me, even though he does not have the greatest record to back it up. I mean, he's 29 and 0, but you know, greatest UFC record. But my thing is, I believe he started a movement. How many Dagestani people did you know before Khabib? True. But like, but it but, but is 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 greatness your wins and losses, or is greatness what you do for the sport? You think about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Is it just because of your stats or is it because of what you do for the game? Well, I mean, in that case, or do we need to talk about John Jones and what he did outside the sport? Because that, that was nothing good that he did outside the sport, other than just <laughs> kick people in the face and choke I mean, people out. What, what, John Jones brought eyeballs. He was the first athlete to be sponsored by a major shoe company. Yes, but that only lasted until they found him yeah. <laughs> with he white powdery stuff all over his nose, <laughs> which was usually by Tuesday. We, we, we all make bad decisions. Like, <laughs> what's a little Colombian bam bam in the morning? Hey, I'm not arguing that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, all right, but, number eight. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, don't get me wrong on that. But I'm not. I'm not gonna say, oh, he's a higher up on the list because now I have a bunch of Russian Muslims that like cool. Like, but that doesn't do anything for me. A bunch of a bunch of Russians that are cleaning out each division yeah i i mean that's great you've 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 established something but like is it is it the fact that you are the greatest of all time or is it just that you've put together a new tactic of being able to beat people it ebbs and flows i mean we all thought conor mcgregor was going to clean house for the next 10 years but that didn't work out when someone found out oh all i have to do is lay on top of him and punch him in the face for five rounds well, it's like it's like uh, Shemaev. Like he's been in the ring what less than a minute, three fights. I mean, it, but Connor brought Connor brought Irish people. Like that, everybody that, was all yeah. about the new Irish people coming out. For sure, but that's sure. that's it's it's kind of a new thing. Like it's the new thing coming out. It's it's but a European 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 martial arts hasn't has never been great popular. The only one, only person European fighter besides Michael Bisping, name one. Wait, are you talking like Conor McGregor after Conor McGregor and Michael Bisping? Yeah, somewhere but besides Bisping or McGregor, name me a good European fighter. 
Hmm. Alistair. Was Fedor. Fedor. Fedor's Russian. He's not European. That, that, that's that's in Europe. <laughs> there is a sliver of Russia oh. in Europe. Was Gustafsson European, Caleb? Yeah. Yes. Gustafson's he's European. Swedish. Swedish. All right. Well, now we know that Caleb's point is wrong. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> Number eight, uh, the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. Uh, I like it. That's fun. Uh, two-time <laughs> fight of the night winner, two-time knockout of the night winner, UFC Hall of Famer. Uh, four title defenses. Chuck Liddell was the mo- once the most dominant he- light heavyweight of all time. Um, old school fans will obviously remember him forever. He's when you think of people who start watching the UFC, you think of Chuck Liddell. There's no other ends and Chuck outs. Tito, the Chuck Tito rivalry was one of the greatest to watch. So, and you know, I went to the I went to the last one when they were both way super old. And it felt really, really wrong. And I met both of those guys and it still felt really, really wrong. Um, but you know, he beat he beat a prime Vitor Belfort. Like that dude would fight in like he went to Japan and you know, Pride stacked the tournament against him and he knocked out Alistair. Um towards the end of the career, you know, it was super sad, like a s- strong breeze would knock him over, but you know, Chuck, legendary status. It all changed after the Quentin knockout. Um, but the early UFCs, the UFC 40s, 50s, 60s, man, he was knocking out like Babalu. Uh, man, anybody you can name. Dude's been in the ring with and, and you know, tough. So 21 and 9. Again. What is what's he done for the sport? How he, him and Tito, basically made the UFC survive. Mm-hmm. So, that that was the rough patch of UFC. Oh yeah, they were yeah. what forty one million dollars in debt. Yeah, that was the rough patch, and they made that thing survive. So number eight, and it wasn't far after that that you had far like right around that time that was the Stephen Bonner, um, Forrest Griffin fight. Probably you know the greatest. <laughs> greatest ufc fight ever all right justin number seven yeah number seven i had fedor at number seven so uh nothing really to add beyond what we kind of covered other than the fact that you know mixed martial arts is such a new sport so to see it change so often and that fedor still in the game for this long i think that's impressive because a lot of times you see guys that just kind of have that quick peak or you know retire early get out of the game it seems to kind of be the newer thing um, so to to last this long in the sports had so many different types of fighters, different styles. Uh, it's impressive. So I'm at seven. I like it. What are we on? Seven. Seven. Yep. Uh, I have Stipe um, at number seven. Um, what? Gosh, when you look at this list, though, you're like, really? He had these wins. So Daniel Cormier twice, who I can probably assume we all have on our list. Caleb, you probably have him a little higher. Um, and I have a little higher. Um, Dar- Daniel Cormier twice. Junior Dos Santos, UFC champion. Alistair Overeem, who we've talked about before. Fabricio Ferdum, Francis Ngannou, and Andre Arlovsky. 
and and he's a full-time firefighter so he's not training full in cleveland of all places yeah chris blevins who trains at our gym a dirty brown trash water of a city yeah he's a full-time firefighter so it's not like he's in the gym 12 hours a day like he does his firefighting duties and then goes to the gym yep he's out there saving people's lives um most consecutive heavyweight title defenses in UFC history at three. Granted, UFC is kind of a revolving, or the heavyweight division is kind of a revolving door. He's been the most stable, if that makes sense. The most stable at the top of his game, um, which I think shows, and everybody loves a heavyweight, just like boxing. Everybody loves a heavyweight fight. Everybody wants to see big giants knock people out and make their head spin. So, um, Stipe, number seven. Number seven. You knew he was going to make the list for me sometime, someplace. Who do you think it is, Neil? Um, right Lake Hospital, Left Kick Cemetery. My man. Yeah. The guy who I based my MMA career around, Mirko Krokop. Um, Mirko was an all-around fighter, an all-around striker, but little known that he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu and had some of the best counter-wrestling in the history of mixed martial arts. If you look at the guys that he fought in pride, a lot of those guys could not take him down. That includes Fedor. That includes Kevin Randleman. That includes Mark Coleman. That includes Travis Luter. That means big-time, huge guys. Now, he had a boxing career. He had 86 fights. He had 78 wins. 30 of them, 31 of them were by knockout, and he only had eight losses. His kickboxing career, he had 26 wins, 13 by knockout, and eight losses. When you look at MMA, he had 38 wins, 11 losses. When you think of highlight reel knockouts with the legs, head kicks, you think of Mirko Krokop versus Vanderlei Silva versus <clears throat> Fedor's brother. Uh, breaking Bob Sapp's eye socket with a punch. Yes. He was the he was the most dangerous striker on the planet at one point in time. Now, his UFC career was rough, bud. I, I wanted nothing more than for him to win in the UFC. It was purely for you. <laughs> and the whole damn Gabriel Gonzaga thing, like Gonzaga was basically a setup fight. So when he got to the UFC, he fought Eddie Sanchez, who was a garbage can. And then the winner between Gonzaga and Krokop was going to fight for the title. And that damn fake head kick that he hit and then blew Mirko's knee out. And it was all over for that. Like He lost to Shab, He lost to JDS. Kind of became a punching bag. And <laughs> then, you know, fought, went back to fighting in Japan, which he even at, in his 40s, was winning heavyweight titles and fighting good guys. So even though he was fighting in the tournaments later in his career, he knocked out in a tournament style. So three fights in one night. He fought three fights in one night, and it was – let me look at it real quick because I don't want to get it wrong. He fought – oh, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? No, that's kickboxing. He fought in one night. He bought. He fought 
King Mo knocked him out. Um, Baratu, who's a six, seven, 400 pound kickboxer. Um, Yair, who's one of the top light heavyweights in the UFC right now. Yep. Um, and his last, his last win in Bellator was against Roy Nelson. But if I go down the list of, you know, who Crow Cops fought, it's kind of unmistakable of, you know, fighting Vandalay Silva, Igor Rochanshin, uh, Big Nog, Ron Waterman, Kevin Randleman, uh, Alexander Emelianenko, Mark Coleman, Fedor, Mark Hunt, Josh Barnett, like dudes who are monsters. So Fedor, and not only was he a killer in the ring, he was obviously a killer outside the ring, being yes, he part was. of the, Cro the Croatian Special <laughs> Forces anti-terrorist unit. Yes. Um, <laughs> and the greatest stare down in uh, MMA history, him and Vanderlei. Like so, Krokop, number seven. I knew you'd sneak him in there. Have to. Have to. Have to. <laughs> All right. All right, Justin, Justin what do you got? six. Yeah, number six, I've got uh, Jose Aldo. Um, I wanted to work him up a little higher on the list, but I just couldn't justify putting him ahead of the rest of the guys. Um, just the longevity of his career. Um, for me, too, just to see how good he is uh, since he's dropped a bantamweight. Uh, and that's a, uh, not to skip over all of his previous accomplishments, but uh, just the fact that he's still in a tough bantamweight division, um, still fighting, you know, with Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhag, and these guys that uh, have some different fight styles that have shown glimpses of being really good. And he's still right up at top, um, like 17 or 18 years later from the start of his career. So got him at number six, Jose Aldo. I, I I was debating putting Jose Aldo in, but I think what really what really killed it for me personally was he basically went full Ronda Rousey after he got knocked out by Connor. Like it took him a while to get back to who he was. And I wish I wished he wouldn't. I wish he kind of just would have kind of got back on the train, but I think I think it really got to him when Connor, I mean, Connor just brutally knocked him out. And then I think it just shook him just kind of to who he was. And it, and it made it tough to really like see the true Jose Aldo that we used to watch and love who dominated every single guy. He lost that fight before they even got in the cage. I know. I know. Connor got in his head. And yeah. And that was, that was the true beginning of Connor. Yep, it was. Um, that's part. Of, that's part of Connor's greatness, you know. Um, someone who could trash talk his way into beating every single guy. Um, so no, I respect it. I respect Jose also. Um, so, which is better, UFC Jose Aldo or WEC Jose Aldo? WEC. It was before. It was before. Yeah. So that's that's why honestly I didn't have Jose on my list. I, I didn't uh, either. To me, 
I thought his career was better in the WEC, even though he's still fighting now and winning. I love WEC Jose Aldo way, 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 way better. Yep. But I also am not a huge, you know, anything lower than middleweight. To me, it's kind of sometimes tough to watch. It's so I I in my in my job I watched wrestling. The most skilled and technical wrestlers are always the lower weight division classes. Usually those guys are the most developed at their age and they're the most skilled and talented. As you go up the rankings of weight classes, usually in wrestling, they're not as skilled. Obviously, it's a little bit in college, but I'm talking in high school level. Um, The same could probably be said for the lower weight classes in MMA. Sometimes those guys are not necessarily all about just how good they are as strikers, but more, you know, what do they do as far as pushing the pace, putting themselves in a position to win, winning rounds, technical ground game, ground and pound in the clinch. And you probably seen that at your gym too, Caleb, is a lot of those guys who are smaller they just, they just, they're like little spiders. They just crawl all over you and you can't shake them off. I know I mean? every single one of them. Yes. <clears throat> Which I totally respect from that aspect. Um, but that's, that, I, that's something that I've come to appreciate, maybe from not watching MMA per se, but watching other sports that are similar that carry the same weight. Um, so I have Amanda Nunes at number six. And here's a couple, just a couple things of why I have her here. So 13 and one record, 13 wins in the UFC, most ever. But she also defended her weight class or defended her title in two different weight classes was, and was successful in defending those. So first two time double champ, able to defend both weight classes in both titles something that Connor never did, something that DC never did, something that Henry Cejudo never did. Um, that has to go regardless of man versus woman or any other double champs to be able to successfully defend your title in two different weight classes is very, very important. Um, and it's something to take, take note of. So along to go with that, Chris Cyborg, Ronda Rousey, Shevchenko, Holly Holm, and Misha Tate, um, and Jermaine. I mean, she's got a list of guy, a list of women who she's just pummeled into the ground. So um, it's something that I think we definitely have to respect, regardless of us being in 2022. I think everybody should respect the fact that women's MMA is here to stay, and she is the greatest there, the, as of now. And probably for the near future, she's the greatest there will ever be. So, Cyborg number six. Or Amanda Nunes number six. <laughs> cyborg number Not six. Cyborg. For a long time, Cyborg was considered the greatest of all time until Amanda Nunes put her in her place. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, number six, I have Fedor. Um, obviously never fought in the UFC, but like you said, Neil, you know, 28 consecutive wins um and you look at the record of wins or the style like knocking out heath harry knocking out 
Big Nog, Gary Goodrich, uh, submitting Mark Coleman, submitting Kevin Randleman, um, you know, taking Crow Cop to decision, um, fighting Hungman Choi, Andre Arlo- sleeping Andre Arlovsky, <laughs> yes. uh, Pedro Rizzo, <laughs> Fabiano Maldonado, Frank Mir, Chael. The, the thing with Fre- Fedor was he was the Russian Mike Tyson. He had that quick twitch fiber that it was really hard to time and see when he was going to throw because of how fast he was. That was one thing that was super interesting when I was training with Matt getting ready for that fight. Um, the film was you could not find when Fedor would let you know right when he was going to throw. You couldn't see, he never gave a movement. He never gave a twitch because normally if I'm standing there fighting, I'm watching the center of your chest. Your chest is going to flex when you get ready to throw one of your punches and Fedor, you would never be able to see it. Um, So when Matt knocked him out, they threw the same punch at the exact same time. And it was a 50, 50 chance. They both got knocked down. Matt was the first one to get up and finish it. Um, I wish Fedor would have fought in the UFC the the monster numbers that would have been, but I can't take away what he did for MMA in general, being that mystique, not really doing interviews, media, um, but that mystique that everybody had of Fedor, greatest of all time, biased, obviously didn't fight in the UFC. The One of the best knockouts of all time was uh, Brett Rogers getting smoked right after coming did brett rogers did he get arrested before or after that for beating his kids but got blasted and it was one of the greatest knockouts of all time so fedor number six just number five who you got yeah number five i've got habib uh talked about him earlier he's lower on neil's list um the other thing to add is obviously it's you know, to never bleed on the mat, um, to never really experience real damage in a sport where the goal is to inflict damage on your opponent, I think it's just unique. Um, and how you value that, right, with such a short career is going to be different for everybody. Um, I really wish he'd come out and, you know, fight some of the better wrestlers, obviously Char- Charles Oliveira. Um, I think that'd be super fun for Habib to kind of show himself as the GOAT wrestler, which I think we a lot of people believe but it'd be nice for him to show it again. Kind of like, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but like GSP came back and beat Michael Bisping. That did a lot to his legacy. I think Habib has that chance to kind of get to that perfect 30, uh, 30 and 0 for a professional record as well. So, but for now I've got him at number five. Who's your, who, who do you think the perfect fight is for Habib to go out 30 and 0 on top fighting this one guy? GSP. He yes. <laughs> GSP probably he's probably still doing his fantastic gymnastics in his With Canadian hair. gym. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't want to see Connor again. No. no. Um and this is what I was going for earlier when I was talking about I was like imagine Habib gets a wrestler who's pretty good, good not good as him, but just someone who can carry their weight 
who's a better striker? You know, what does that do? Um, it's an interesting setup. I'm trying to see. Yeah. My only, there's nobody in, there's nobody on the current roster that I can see that would really give them a shot. My only thought that I would like to see again is Justin Gaethje. Yeah, I like it. That that's tough. I, mean, I think I was, Justin, with your Charles Olivier, I think that's a that's a fair point too. He's coming on strong. He's coming on strong. He's, he seems like he's hitting his peak. Maybe there's a chance there. Yeah, that's tough. I'm like Charles versus Dustin. Charles wins. Um, Charles versus. I just I I feel it's like tough. it's it's that's what kills me about Habib is like. You know he had a great great ground game, but all it takes is one guy who has just as good of a ground game, who know we know is a better striker. Here's because the Habib's not really a striker; he's looking to take you down and just beat you up from. Top. And here's the tough thing: like somebody who does this six days a week, like I do, wrestling and the and wall wrestling and all that stuff sucks. Like it's yeah. not fun at all, and. For the guys that want to fight, and that's like the first thing they do, and they're tired in the first 30 seconds. And you don't realize people don't realize it until after they fight Khabib, like that there's there's levels to this. Yeah. Like drag them into deep water. So yep. all right. Number five for you, Neil. Who is it? Uh I have DC at number five. Um gosh. Okay, here's the thing with DC. The only people he's lost to, granted it's a shorter career, the only people he's lost to are people in the top 10, in my top 10 list. Like, let's think about that. The The only people he's lost to are Stipe and uh, he who has not been named yet. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but DC, I mean... Two two time or two division champ, title defenses. I mean, he's got he's got he's not the greatest looking like you would say. Oh, that's an MMA fighter, but like you beat Stipe, you beat Anthony Johnson twice, you beat Gustafson, you beat Anderson Silva, you beat Dan Henderson, you beat OGs, and you beat up these Hall of Famers. And the only guys that you're losing to are other Hall of Famers who are the top ten all time. He didn't. He didn't beat Anderson Silva. <laughs> he said that was a last second replacement fight at a catchweight. <laughs> Whatever. This is true, but it um, still counts. But yeah, DC all the way up until Stipe hadn't lost a heavyweight fight, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, you think of the Strike Force tournament, beating Bigfoot Silva. Picking up Dan Henderson and tossing him over his head. Yep. I. Yeah. These. I mean, DC's. Yeah. Underrated. Right. Underrated MMA fighter. Not appreciated. Not even. Yes. Just not underrated. appreciated. Not appreciated. Yeah. And not appreciated on the mic either. No. 
no, I would I'd agree with that as well. Compare so I know that him and uh, Dominic have beef for their different styles. I would much rather listen to DC than Dominic Cruz. I agree. Justin, what's your take on Dominic's that? such an egocentric person. Uh-oh. Am I frozen? Who's frozen? Justin Harris. Yes. Yep. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> My internet is rough. It's all good. So um, uh, in the DC, remind me not to Dom- move to Michigan now. Yeah, in the DC, <laughs> Dominic Cruz. Kind oh, of I'm kind beat. of out in the boonies. <laughs> yeah. Again, remind me not to move to Michigan now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, preferably, like, when listening to a fight, do you prefer DC's type of way of commenting, uh, commentating, or do you like, you know, Dominic's very very technical with his commentating. Justin, go ahead. I, yeah, I, I think there's needs to be a balance. I, I think DC brings the energy, but he doesn't have the substance. I like when Dominic Cruz brings in the technicality behind it. A lot of the things that even MMA fans don't understand, right, with some of the more advanced moves. I think sometimes they both go overboard with things, though. Um, like, it makes me think of the uh, the Connor and the Habib fight, like really bad in that fight. Um, if you guys listen to the commentary, he's like trying to justify why Connor's taking damage against Habib. Uh, but DC's had some of those bad moments too. So I kind of like the mixture, uh, to be honest, but I understand kind of the hate for people that have followed MMA for longer and don't necessarily need just the the obvious statements. Yeah. I'm all about that cake and chicken, so. You disrespect that Popeye's chicken. That's right. All right, moving on. Number five on my list, I got Khabib. Um, So same with Justin. Um, I've already said kind of my piece on it. I believe that Khabib uh, is a good fighter, did more for the sport than his fighting career. Um, I think if his father had not passed, he would obviously continue to fight. Um, that's a huge part of it that I can't, you know, that's his decision. They, if, if he didn't want to go on with his father, because his father was his head coach, basically it's tough to, you don't have that same fire. So if he wants to call it quits, then where he's at, that's great. Do other things for the sport, have your own promotion. Like he is now, um, you know, bring up, the Dagestani guys, you know, continue to grow to sport. That's what martial arts is about. Yep. Right, I respect number, it. I just, number four. Yeah. I get tired. Yeah. Uh, number four, I've, uh, I've got mighty mouse. So Demetrius Johnson, um, really impressive career, right? Uh, 30 wins or depending on, uh, how you kind of value some of his early wins, but 11 title defenses, um, Seven finishes, the most in the flyweight division. Uh, I think it's tough because, you know, with those lower weight classes or, you know, smaller weight classes, it's kind of just a different game. Um, But his fight against Henry Cejudo was super entertaining. Um, He did lose, but it was a close fight. Um, Mighty Mouse was one of those really kind of hidden gems, so to speak, at least for now. If you look at his card prices, kind of to tie that back, 
Um, some of his stuff so cheap for the dominance he displayed. Um, and he just had kind of that character to go with it. Um, so I've got him at number five, um, or sorry, number four. I just couldn't justify putting him any higher, but I think he's a strong four. Um, yep, number four, Mighty Mouse. I'm 100% right. I think I think Justin, me, and you, four through one are going to be the same. So uh, I think so, yeah. too. <laughs> Mighty Mouse. Wait, he beat Henry Cejudo, right? Didn't he beat him the first I time? I guess I'm thinking And then of, Henry yeah. beat him the second time? Yep. Yeah. So, yep. Demetrius, 11 successful title defenses. It's amazing. 15-2 and two UFC record. 15-2-1 and one UFC record. 33-1 overall. Um, I mean, what else does the guy have to accomplish? You know? I, I think he's under... I think he's one of those guys like Daniel Cormier who's underappreciated for how how skilled he was, how dominant he was in his division. Um, now, I'd maybe the cool thing now is to kind of transition in between, like to the next division up or next division down, depending on you know who you are. But um, I think he very well could have done that in his time frame, in his generation. He very well could have done that and probably been successful. Um, and making a, a title run at a different division as well. So, um, yeah, Mighty Mouse at number four. I think that's completely fair. Very, good, uh, very, very, very good MMA fighter. Number four for me, I got DC. So I think just his run through the heavyweight division, um, when you think about his early fights, obviously no one was really keen on DC until – the strike force heavyweight tournament. Um, after that, all eyes on him, you know, he comes to the UFC. He runs massive ruck shot over everybody. You know, you, he was a striker or he was a wrestler that could strike mm-hmm. like legitly strike. Like he had some hands cause he had some weight behind his punches too. That's right. Um, Probably Cake one of, chicken, man. Yeah, one of the most dominant guys to come out of AKA. Uh, there's not much left to be said. We've talked about him a bunch, but I got to go DC number four. One thing about that, Caleb, didn't he lose to Stipe his last two fights? His last two fights, yes, absolutely. To me, that just – I felt like DC was still in his prime. He, you know, he's uh, maybe not in his prime, but – he still had the ability to keep going and to lose twice to Stipe. I just couldn't justify putting him ahead of Stipe personally when Stipe stayed in the heavyweight division where there is more turnover. That's well, kind of why think, I had DC at 10. Think um, about it, though, Justin. Heavyweight wasn't DC's division. Light heavy was DC's best division. Being the heavy guy in the lighter division, in a lighter division, that's where he was most successful. And that's why that's why nobody could stop him. I mean, you yeah. just you have the wrestling, you have the grappling, and then you throw in the striking in a lighter division. It becomes very tough. It, it's when he stepped up to the next division. It's always going to be tougher. It's the same thing with Conor McGregor. It's the same thing with Henry Cejudo. Once you once you step up, you go to that next division. It's it's much 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 tougher to be able to be successful at that. Um, and and to me, to me, and I'll wait till Justin's Burger King internet gets. Gets back on going. Do I need to go find him a McDonald's? Like, uh, <laughs> I, 
We li- we don't have like any options, man. It's so frustrating. Like I'm gonna have to figure something else out. At- <laughs> what do you got? Wow, out there. No, we literally. So we only have uh, it's called well. We only have Century Link, but it's not even like high speed. What the hell is Century so Link? We, we don't have. We don't have any like type of fiber or any cables out run ran out here. It's frustrating. Okay, so my only point to losing to Stipe back to back twice is yep. I want to think of DC's career as a whole. Not just martial arts career. I want to talk about his wrestling career. Dude's been wrestling at the highest level since 1995. The time and toll on his body. He was in his 40s when he fought Stipe. The second and third time. Stipe was still in his mid-30s. So to me, time in the sport, knowing what this sport mm-hmm. does to you, you know, breaking you down, this. And like Neil said, you know, by the end, he could care less about his weight. You know, he was a true heavyweight by the end of his career. Yeah. You know, sponsored by Popeyes. But, <laughs> man. Can we, me, get the, can we get Popeyes as a sponsor for this show? Uh, I will. I will work on that. We got my slabs. I figure Popeyes is next, right? <laughs> we're, we're we're moving on up. So number four for me, DC. <laughs> Justin, number three. Yeah, number three. I uh, got to go with Anderson Silva. Um, you could make a case, honestly, for these three. Um, you know, the the last three remaining, really in different orders. But for me, Anderson Silva falls in at number three. Just due to kind of him continuing to fight um, and experiencing those losses. The longevity, I think, is admirable to some extent, but it's one of those points where, you know, people are just trying to add him to uh, kind of put his name on the resume, so to speak, or to kind of get more money because of the name. Uh, But during Anderson's heyday, he was an entertainer and he was a great fighter. So he kind of had both going for him. he did have like the PEDs and all that stuff, but who really cares about that stuff? To be honest, everybody's on PEDs. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Who hasn't? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've been everybody, on it too. It's like everybody on my list like Nate, except for Khabib. Nate Diaz. Everybody's been... on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yep. Make yeah. your PP smaller. So got, That's, uh, that was the goal. So might as well just give. I'd just give your three, two, one because I think we're all in the same. It's just the order is going to yeah. be different. Okay. Yeah. GSP at number two. Um, really pretty much an incredible, obviously an incredible career, uh, his two losses, he did avenge. Um, I do want it noted that, um, there was a, who was it? There's a close fight, uh, Johnny Hendricks, he fought, and that was a pretty debatable decision, uh, towards the end of his career. So potentially could have been a loss there. Uh, but otherwise a pretty, pretty flawless career. Great. You know, coming back to, to fight up and beat Bisping. Um, was a really kind of a cap on his legacy. Number one, I've got John Bones Jones, probably to no surprise. Um, I Do think we really John even is, need to talk he, about John Bones Jones? He's just number. We one. really don't. Yeah, I he has he's got no weaknesses, man. I mean, that's other than himself. You know what I mean? To have the <laughs> it's not even a weakness. Does, it doesn't um, matter. Have, He'll still come back and yeah. rail anybody. He'll fight DC on two weeks' well, notice yeah. on a cocaine bender. Right. I, Dude, he it does not yeah. matter. John Jones better than anybody. 
I think I and I think too. The one thing that bothers me, right, as a John Jones fanboy, is when people say he wasted his career. That drives me nuts because I think his narcissistic tendencies oh and his drive to be the best with the eye pokes, with the juice. I don't give a shit. You know, he wanted it more than anybody, and and he he got it. So I think that that kind of helped him to some extent over some other guys. I want the names of who said your statement about that. Okay, so Golden, funny enough, you know, uh, Golden Auction House just posted today. Um, you know, I've kind of been looking for my collection for the 2019 Super Fractor, uh, the only year John Jones is in Topps Chrome. Weirdly enough, today they post uh, one of the a breaker pulled it like on a live or something, and go look at the comments. Right, so all the comments are like, because the Golden called it like the hit of a lifetime. And all the comments were like, who cares, John? You know, this and that. Wasted, like, wasted his career. His who career. wants his cokehead? <laughs> if he, I, I if he, if he wasted away his career as the greatest fighter of all time, imagine what he would have done. <laughs> he didn't waste away his career. Yeah. He, he, he pissed away a lot of money in that span of being suspended, but wasted away for his career? No. He could have fought anybody on two weeks' notice and be... Gustafson, DC, oh, yeah. like you know, John John shows yeah. up and and he's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Snort a line, he, go out he, there. He fought Gustafson, rail some on kids, train. move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so three, two, one. Silva, GSP, John Jones. Um, yeah, I figured we'd be on the same page, Justin. Silva is my favorite yeah. fighter of all time. Um, personally, I just I've always liked. The spider. Caleb, you've known this since forever. John Jones, my second favorite of all time, once Silva kind of fell off the wagons. But uh, GSP, I mean, there's no denying when you come back from, you know, taking time off and you just come back and just, you know, ho-hum, walk into another title. It cements your legacy. Um, to your point about the Johnny Hendricks fight, We've talked about this plenty of times on MMA. We've talked about this plenty of times just in messages. You don't let the judges take the fight. You win the fight in the rounds. You don't let it go to the scorecard. You let it go to the scorecard, you're gonna lose. You gotta beat the you gotta beat the champion. You can't just eh, do enough to maybe beat him. No, I mean he, you gotta beat him. He got beat up by Johnny Hendricks. I don't know if you were with us, Neil, when we watched that fight. I think I watched it separately, but I yeah. remember seeing it. I I remember thinking I Johnny, thought he got robbed too. I thought Johnny Hendricks won, and then the rematch was a, just a beatdown, and then nobody heard from Johnny Hendricks ever again. Yes, <laughs> and that's that's yeah, that's that's where that's kind of where I'm at on that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Don't let it get close, and if you're gonna make it close, you, you got to do something extraordinary to make it set, try and separate yourself. So, so let me throw mine out there because I'm the only one that's different. I went three GSP, two Silva, one Jones. The reason being is, if you were gonna fork up the fifty five dollars to watch a pay per view, did you want to watch the pay per view where you thought GSP was going to out wrestle? Patrick Cote or Johnny Hendricks <laughs> or Dan Hardy, or did you want to see Anderson Silva front kick Vitor Belfort 
Yushino Kami, you know, to me, now there's nothing, however you win the fight is however you win the fight. Not saying GP, GSP was not dominant, but he wasn't exciting. He was bland. He wasn't exciting in his interviews, in the media, in real life, when he fought. He's a true martial artist. I'll give him that. It's all about respect and this and that. But he's popular in Canada. That's about it. Do you remember when the when GSP and Anderson were like prime, you know, prime themselves? We the were fighting out of B-dubs. Yeah, I remember those times. The fight was <laughs> the fight. The fight will always the fight that everybody always wanted to see. GSP, Anderson Silva at a catch weight. At 180, 175, yeah, 175 like 180, 178, whatever. Could you imagine that fight? The greatest matchup in history. Here's the problem with fights like that. Do they ever live up to the hype? Here's here's the thing. If GSP laid on if JSP laid over the top of him for Anderson for five rounds, what do we know? What what is the most underrated part about Anderson Silva? His submission game? Yes. 100 percent Yes. Ash Chael Sonnen, who murdered him for what four <laughs> rounds? Ash Yushinokami, who got a heel to the face. Yes. Yes. Anderson Silva was a <laughs> a wizard. At putting people into submissions, but the problem is no one ever knew that. So, I think that would make it interesting. And we always wanted to see Anderson Silva just start bobbing and weaving and make GSP look like a marshmallow man. Yeah, I mean that's that was the exciting factor with Anderson. Um, did he fight the greatest people coming up? No, no. You know, Chris Lieben was a cokehead. Um, we fought Damian Maya, who was, you know, he was a boring fighter, still was a, I mean, he's a jujitsu guy. Wasn't well, he really had, he great. had Hendo, Belfort, Rich Franklin, Chael Sonnen, Forrest. You forget, he also went up to light heavy and fought some of those dudes. Yeah. I mean, them. Forrest, Forrest is a subpar fighter. Um, just because he was, he's a massive, if you've never seen Forrest in person, he's, he's huge. He's one of the most massive human beings I've ever, like, he could play outside linebacker for any professional team like then like he's huge huge so is junior dos santos i saw him at ufc 119 in indianapolis massive human being yeah (laughs) all right justin if you're coming back on this you gotta change your internet somehow i don't know what you gotta do buy um, buy a new cell tower and put it in your basement I, I mean, I, we're we're all pretty. We're all the same with one, two, three, just a little bit in different order. Obviously, it, John Jones. There's really not much between two and three. So it's you know, it's tough. Um, it's John Jones, and then the rest of everybody. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to get to? Any uh, so, pick? So here's pick my up. question: Why do you think the rest of these newbies in the the card hobby and these new UFC guys are? Just forget about John Jones. Do you think it's everything outside of MMA? I think, I think it's too new. And I think, Justin, you can back me up on this. When you added me to the Instagram group and I asked, you know, everybody's favorite or who, how did you get into fighting? How did you get into watching the UFC? Everybody's answer was Conor McGregor. Yep. 
That's I've been, yeah, it was. And I've been watching MMA since the early 2000s. So to me, it's like that newer explosion, ex- exposure to people. You know, I've been training and doing it for 15 or so years now. So to kind of see like it was the Connor train. It's like, do these guys know MMA or do they know present day MMA? I think that's it. They know present day. They, it, It's like they have, I'm going to be honest, they have no respect for the true MMA legacy in the history. No respect for it. Absolutely no respect. I mean, the first thing I, d- I told on the UFC group was like, everybody needs to go to YouTube, watch Vanderlei Silva versus Quentin Nelson and Pride, where that was the first time I ever thought somebody actually was killed in the ring when Vanderlei need Quentin in the face, split him open, and he's just hanging in the ropes like a dead human. Like, you need to see what real MMA fights were. What yeah. should be soccer kicks, head stomps should yep. all be legal. Yep. So soccer kicks to the dome. No, it's so. Is there anything else we need to cover? I know Justin had some pickups. Um, or did we already talk about those? Is there anything else with free agency we missed? Free agency? No, nothing huge. We got um, some. Not some big. I mean, Jameis Winston resigned with the Saints. Not a huge soccer. So, uh, so do this. So, I, I've already gone through this in my head. Why do the Rams sign Allen Robinson to that deal? What was his deal? Three years, forty-five million dollars. Um, and then you trade away Robert Woods. I think maybe Robert Woods' knee is not as good as we think. And also, do you think Allen Robinson is the better replacement? Do you, are you going to bring back Odell? He's not going to. He's not going to get any money. It's two ACLs. I'm going to tell you right now. With the second ACL on that knee, they're going to have to get a cadaver ACL and Who's, put that thing in from a dead who, body. Who other on the free agent list would you have rather pulled as a wide receiver? I I would. I would have used the money to pick up a defensive end. Mm. Resign Von Miller. You won your Super Bowl because you had three three guys oh. who could rush the passer and you had corners to back them up. And you won the Super Bowl because you could block with your t- wide receivers and your tight ends. But you weren't going to give them a five-year deal like the Bills were. I wasn't expecting a five-year deal for Von Miller. Okay, so $15 million a year. So you can't tell me he would sign another three-year $15 million deal a, a year? Or three year, sixteen million dollar, eighteen million a year, depending on what the guaranteed money is. Guarantee him everything; it doesn't matter. Depending on what your salary cap is, it, it they're just going to read they're going to redo contracts so that way they can make it into signing bonuses and it takes less of a salary cap. They do it every year. That's what yeah, they're doing with Mahomes every year. I don't know. Well, I think Deshaun getting two hundred thirty million fully guaranteed is crazy. Uh, a little bit for a guy who's going to be sitting the bench for six to eight games. And that's why they brought in Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Yeah. All right. I don't All know. Right, what... Let's All wrap right. it up here. We've got to Justin thank our sponsors. Texted me, said he can't get back in. All right. It's all good. Well, 
Got to thank my slabs, myslabs.com. <laughs> Buy and sell your slabbed cards, slab comic books, sealed wax for 1% or up to, or only, well, let's see, 1%, 3%, 6%. Best place to go. Use my slabs. Get off of eBay now. Go to my slabs. Uh, protect your stuff. Use slab savers, protect your slab.com. Use code dream three to get 10% off your order. Graded card solutions. If you follow them on Instagram, they got some new products out. Check them out. Gradedship.com. If you use code dream 15, you're going to get 15% on your order. And then my guys at nation golf. If you love cool, old school golf clothing, go to nationgolfcompany.com. So good way to kick off season two. Once again, thank you to Justin squint sports cards. Follow him on Instagram. He's on oh, Twitter. We got our next, uh, yeah. Sorry. Follow Sorry him for... on Twitter at squints daddy. And we do, we have a guest lined up for next week, which I am That's excited right. to talk to. Zach. Not a super big name in the hobby, but Zach has a game used patch auto collection that I drool over every single day. So excited Beautiful. to have that in our pocket for next week. And uh, yeah. Anything else? Coming um, up you know? Justin said he is going to sell a card to upgrade his internet. I'm going to hold him to that. I oh. just want that on record. Right on. So until next time, this is season two of the dream three podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>